Right. Well, good afternoon. Oh, come on, crew. Good afternoon. Golly. I got it right this time. I feel like the last few times I've done the four o'clock, the two times I say good morning, and it's like, nope, not that. Uh, well, welcome to Redemption Gateway. My name's Josh. If you haven't been here before, we are in a series looking at the first few kings of the nation of Israel. And so uh, it's called We Want a King, and we've spent a lot of time looking at the life of Saul. And then over the last few sermons in this series, we've looked at how Saul and David kind of interact with each other. And then now Saul's dead and we have the life of David. And so uh, if you are not a big fan of the Bible and like you're like, I think it could be fairly boring. Like I started reading it and I got to Leviticus and I quit kind of deal. Like that's totally understandable. Anybody who's done that, we all get it. You're with us. But I really think you should read First and Second Samuel just like on your own, like this week. I can't read through it. Like I really wanted the scripture reader to just read chapters two, three, and five for you. And then we'd be like, have a good day goodbye. You know, like, it would just take our whole time. I think you should read it because there's a ton of amazing things that happen, but, but I would like to start you off with the children's beginner's Bible version of this text. Last night, uh, my four-year-old Autumn, she got a beginner's Bible this uh, couple, like a month ago, and we've been reading it a ton. And last night, she's like, let's read our Bible. And I was like, okay. And we were literally in this text, and I'm going to preach this text today. And so I was like, I got to talk to them about this. This is the children's Bible. Here it is. It says, Saul chased David, but he never caught him. God watched over David. Then one day, David heard some sad news. King Saul and Prince Jonathan had died in battle. That's legitimately 2 Samuel chapter 1. And then like David's weeping over his father-in-law Saul, his king, and uh, his friend Jonathan. And he is crying, and he teaches the nation of Israel this song of lament for their leaders. And then it says, the people remembered what God had told them, and they went to find David. Hey, David, you're our king now, they exclaimed, you know, and like, boom, that's it. That's how easy it went. The succession of power from the house of Saul to the house of David, it was easy, you know, and it's like, that's actually not how it went. I mean, that is the end result. You know what I mean, right? Like, that's how it gets there. Hey, you're our king now. But there's a lot of stuff that happens in between chapters 2 all the way to chapter 5 that bring it about. But it probably isn't the way we would have chosen. Like, while this is good for kids because kids don't need to read through some of the kind of gory details of the things that happen in these chapters, I do think that we all would prefer life sometimes in the children's Bible version. Because there isn't the mess that happens. Here's the crazy thing for those who maybe don't really know David's life. David was anointed king right, that God makes a promise to him that he's going to be king over Israel, and he's like a teenager, probably like 14, 15, 16 years old. And then in our text that we'll see here, David doesn't actually become fully king until like he's in his early 30s. And he had to wait a whole long time, and a lot of things happened in there. And so this morning, I want to talk about just the necessity of waiting on God. Because many of us, while we might not become king, 
If there's one thing that we could all identify with David is that he had to wait a whole lot of time in between point A and point B. And you and I are at times in seasons of waiting. And so the big idea today, I hope, is an encouragement to you, is that be assured God is most definitely purposefully at work in your waiting. Like God is at work in your waiting. And I hope that comes through the text. I'd like to pray for us, and then we'll jump into it. Father, I thank you so much for the scriptures. I thank you that they are full of real life. I thank you that they're also full of truth that helps to uh, ease our hearts in the midst of the chaos and realign us with you. And so, Lord, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would uh, get us on your timetable and get us on your page. Give us eyes to see you. And Lord, encourage our hearts in the midst of waiting. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you would turn in your Bibles, I'm going to jump around a little bit. Uh, It's a lot of text that I'm not going to read, but here's how I kind of want to go through uh, all of this. Is David's fairly kind of like quiet in some of this? And it might be easy to think that somehow in the waiting, since he's David, like he was unaffected by all the waiting. But when you read the book of Psalms, right, and you start actually looking at the Psalms, there's a lot of things that David is emoting over, and he's praising God over. He's sorrowful. He's in all these different spots. And so this evening, I would like to look at a few of the phrases of David that I think characterize kind of like him in this text. And so the first one is this, is it's found in Psalm 13, and it's, How long, O Lord? David just asks this question, How long, O Lord? And we kind of see this uh, come about here in the midst of his waiting to become king. So in chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says this, After this, David inquired of the Lord. So, So David has already learned that Saul's dead. He's lamented Saul's death. And now he's supposed to be king, right? He's supposed to be the next guy in line. And you would think like, okay, what's he going to do? Is he going to just like take what's rightfully his by the promise of God? Or is he going to do a PR campaign? Like what, what is David going to do to get everybody on his side? And this is what he does. He inquires of the Lord and he says, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, To which shall I go up? And God said to Hebron. And so David goes up there. He takes all his people with him. And in verse 4 it says this, And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. So for those who don't know, that's an easy win. Those are like, that's like David's family. They're like, hey, we remember God said you're going to be king. That's like the second page of the Children's Beginner's Bible. Uh, You're our king now. That's an easy win to get them because that's the tribe he's from. There's 11 other tribes that also make up the nation of Israel that he's got to bring into the kingdom. And so if you skip down to verse 8, it says this, But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahaniam. And he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. Ishbosheth's son, or Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. Like, up to this point, 
Right? Like, if you think about it, up to this point, at 30 years old, David's now been in this waiting season. Like, he's not killing Saul. He's not going to take advantage of some of those kind of prime opportunities to kill Saul. He's going to go into the wilderness, and he's not going to have his hand against the Lord's anointed. He's been waiting and waiting and waiting. He's the next guy in line. And then that king dies, and all of a sudden, what does he do? Right? He goes up. He obeys the Lord. He goes up. And you'd think all 12 tribes are going to come to him at Hebron and make him king incorrect, right? Other people got other plans, right? There's a roadblock in this way. There's now a second king. And the reality is, is if David got, once David got that news, he's probably like, how long, oh Lord? And I just envision him going away on his own, and he starts praying Psalm 13. Psalm 13 verses 1 and 2 say this, how long, oh Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Like, we get that. David's not the one who chose to be king. He was promised it by God that he would be king, and it's still not fully realized. And you just get this heart-wrenching cry, this ah, exasperated nature of how long, O Lord? And then he goes on to say, How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I don't even think David's the only one saying, How long, O Lord? Like, I got to believe the people that followed him up to Hebron, like all his family and his friends and his David's mighty men, if you've read about that, right? Like, all these people are probably saying the same thing, like, David, now's your time. And even there in those moments... They're probably like that. It's kind of like when you're at a, an amusement park, you know, you go to Disneyland or, you know, Magic Mountain or something like that, and you're waiting in line with your friends, you're having a great old time, but then you look at the watch, and you're like, this line's kind of taking a long time, and you're doing your zigzagging. That's like David in the wilderness, you know? He's just like waiting his time, doing his thing in the line, and then all of a sudden Saul's out of the way. It's kind of like, a, you know, you get into that space in Disneyland where, you know, you're like, oh, guys, I think we made it, and then you turn the corner, and you're like, no! Like, it's just like more of this. And you're like, son of a... You know, like, how long, oh Lord, till we ride this ride? You know, like, that's probably what his people following him felt like. Like, dude, this is your chance. Now's the time. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we're going to wait because there's another king. Waiting is hard. Like, you know it. We all know it. Whatever it is that you're waiting on you sometimes think you turn the quarter and then don't god's got you waiting even longer and what i love about david is he's not afraid to go to god with his waiting right even in this text he's still going to the lord Uh, there's a lot of things happening in this text And, and the problem of waiting is that sometimes it just seems very dark and hopeless Like, if you read chapters 2 through 5, it's not a very bright picture of the nation of Israel. I'll just go really fast, okay? Here we go. We're going to do all of it really fast. So, two kings now, because people are grasping for power, and it's really not Ishbosheth. It's mostly Abner, who's making himself strong in the house of Saul, as we read. And he's probably like, this guy's a wimp. I could basically functionally be king. Might as well be me, you know, kind of like grasping for power. And all of a sudden, David is out here waiting another couple of years 
to see the promise fully realized. Then there's this battle that happens at Gibeon. It's this, this guy named Joab, who's David's general. And then there's Abner, who was Saul's general. And they go and they have this battle. And, and you should really read the story. It's pretty great. Uh, a lot of cool things happen uh, if you're a dude, you know, like people get impaled and stuff. Uh, but, you know, you're like, oh, that's pretty neat. Uh, but here's the crazy thing is this, these two tribes, the house of David and the house of Saul, these people should not be fighting. Like they should be able to unite under one banner, which isn't even one of the kings. It should be under the name of Yahweh. They should be able to unite. And yet instead they still fight and they kill each other. And at the end result, there's almost 400 people dead. And you got to imagine when David gets the news, he's like, how long, O oh Lord? Does it have to be this way? And that's the reality of waiting. There's even more stuff. There's murder. There's revenge. There's all these things happening in this text. And every time, like, all this wickedness is happening, and you just feel like this collective, just like, sigh of how long is it going to take for this guy to be king, Lord? And you feel that way in the midst of your waiting. Because in the midst of waiting, we start to kind of question. We do like David did. Right? Like, Lord, do you care? Lord, do you see me? Lord, what is going on? Is there anything good happening in this world? We are waiting for something good. And, and I love that David is, is bold enough to go to God. And I want to encourage you to go to God in your waiting. But David doesn't stay in this despair of questioning. I want to read Psalm 13 for you the way David finishes it. And this is where he goes. He says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Waiting for God in a broken and fallen world is difficult. Let's just get that question out of the way. It is not easy because people, right, are broken, systems are broken, the world is broken, and you are waiting and sometimes you feel like you just come up on these roadblocks and it's not like you have bad desires. You think God's called you to something, but yet somehow you just keep running up against it. Where I want to point you is I want to point you not to what you keep hitting your head against. I want to point you to the God who loves you and who is going to deal bountifully with you. Right? Like, that's where David is pointing us. Even in the midst of this whole thing, you just see David. The thing that's fascinating to me, he's promised to be king, right? But the beauty of David, at least to me as I've studied this, is that he doesn't actually need it. He just wants to do the Lord's will. And so he's able to move from how long, O Lord, and then he can move to I know that God will fulfill his purpose for me. He says it multiple times in different psalms, but in Psalm 138, David says, God fulfills his purpose for me. I want to read to you in Psalm 138, verses 7 through 8. And it says this, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. I think one of the most 
uh, captivating things about David in this time in his life where he's waiting to be king, where even after Saul's death, he's not fully king yet. One of the most captivating things is he's still content to wait on the Lord. He's still content to stay close to God and to do what God says, right? Like, Following God, basics 101. Stay close to God and do what God says. You see it in chapter 2. You also see it in chapter 5. But in between there, there's a lot of wickedness that happens where David's actually not talking and a bunch of other people are doing some wicked things. And it seems like they're impeding his kind of path to the throne. But here's the wild thing I want to look at uh, kind of with you. Is in our, even in our reading, we read in chapter 3 that there was this war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But here's this part in verse 9 that I want to read to you. This is the voice of Abner. And he says, after he's offended, he's like, God, do so to Abner. He talks in the third person. That's kind of weird, but whatever. I guess you do that. God, do so to Abner. And more also, if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him. So everybody knows David's supposed to be king. And there's people still trying to do their own will. But now this guy goes, God, do so more to me, you know, like if I can't get this done for David. And all of a sudden, now this guy's going to try to bring the other 11 tribes to David. But the way it happens is probably not the way he expected. Pretty ironic, actually, if you keep reading The interesting thing that I think we all kind of wrestle with, especially in texts like these, is there's a lot of wickedness happening, and the question then becomes, can God still fulfill his purpose even in the midst of all the evil that's taking place? Like, can I see that there? My grandma, when uh, I was a kid, uh, so probably, you know, like 10 to 15 years old, it was back in the 90s, friends, I don't know if anybody remembers those, uh, there were these posters that had geometric shapes on them, like very patterny, uh, you know, like in blues and other things, and there were all these geometric shapes, but if you stared at it good enough, do you know what I mean? Like if you just like, if you really kind of like go cross-eyed, anybody know what I'm talking about? And you go like, all of a sudden, what pops out? Like a dolphin, you know, like or like a panda eating bamboo or something, you know, like just some random junk that you're like, oh, that's a weird looking poster that you would have or own. But then all of a sudden, if you look deeper, oh, look at that. And here's kind of the craziness of this text that we've been given to look at today, is that in between chapters two through five, it seems that God has taken a back step and that evil has pushed itself to the foreground. And that somehow they are going to thwart the promise of God that David won't be able to become king. But David is so confident, not in himself, but in the God who has made the promise. He says, even though I'm in the midst of my enemies, this God will fulfill his purpose for me. And that's where the sovereignty of the Lord, like we, we you know, you're in Sunday school and somebody, here, we're in church. Okay, everybody, we're in church. Is God sovereign? Nailed it. Okay, good job. Okay, so yes, God is sovereign. We like to answer that. But here's the reality is sometimes it makes us a little queasy as to how that works. Like, so God controls everything. Yeah. Like he ordains, he works, he governs by his good and good pleasure and his good will. God is at work. And here's the beautiful thing in the midst of waiting is that if we are in the midst of waiting, we can cling to the God who will fulfill his purpose for us, 
even when it seems like evil has won the day. And so I don't just think waiting is hard. It is hard. The answer to that is yes. But I actually think waiting is necessary for you and for me. And so the question is, why is waiting on the Lord necessary? I got four things. I'm sure if we were able to do a group discussion, open our Bibles, come up with a lot, we could come long list, take four to five hours, have a great time, all be super encouraged and edified. But I've only got four for you. And so here we go. Why is waiting on the Lord necessary for us? Waiting reminds us that we are on God's timetable. Uh, As I said, I have two kids. Uh, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. My two-year-old, Elliot, uh, the other night, Friday night, we were headed out the door, me and the two children's, uh, to go to dinner. And uh, they had been playing with post-it notes uh, and writing on them and sticking them all over our house. That's like a thing they like to do. And somehow my two-year-old decided to situate herself right in front of the door that leads to the garage that has the car in it that I need to get in with my kids to go to dinner. And she starts writing on these post-it notes and slapping them on the wall. I'm like, yo, Elliot, can we uh, go to dinner? And no. Okay. Just keep slapping. I go, um, you almost done? Yeah, yeah, I'm almost done. And you're just like stuck waiting. And every parent in this room would love to confess that they are in charge and they are on their own timetable. But the reality, I'm just going to confess, I am on that child's timetable because here's the thing you also know. What happens if I move her before she's done? Ain't nobody going to dinner. You know what I mean? Dinner's not happening. Like we're doing like 45 minutes of meltdown recovery and it's just like that's not happening. And I think when we end up waiting on God, we kind of go through those moments, right? We realize we're not the ones in control. We start having to confess like, oh shoot, maybe this life is not done the way I've planned it. And so then the question would be is, how do I get on God's timetable? Take a look at with me one more time at chapter 2, verse 1. After this, once David had figured out that Saul was dead, what does David do first? He starts with the Lord. And he says, should I go up to the cities of Judah? And God's like, yeah, go. Do what David did. It's not hard to get on God's timetable. Talk to God. Pray. Get in touch with the Lord and spend some time with him rather than running ahead and doing what you think is necessary. The second thing, waiting creates space for the Lord to work. Waiting creates space for the Lord to work. This whole week, I've been kind of like asking people around the office and people in my life. I said, okay, you got 1 Samuel 16, which is where David gets anointed. And he says, you know, like, hey, David's a man after, God says, David's a man after my own heart, right? He tells Saul, this guy's better than you, right? That kind of all happens around 1 Samuel 16. And then we get all the way up to 2 Samuel 5. If I, I started polling everybody in the office, I'm like, why would you make David king? And you can't use like the trump card, oh, because God said he's going to be king. You know what I mean? Like, what would you pick? What would you pick? Like, what story from 1 Samuel 16 up to 2 Samuel 5? You know, and so some people are like, oh, he's a beast, you know, like the way he took down Goliath. I'm like, yeah, he is. That's awesome. Or like some people are like, man, he just wants to do the Lord's will. You know, like he's, out, he's there for the outcast. He's there for, like everyone had all these different reasons as why they would make David king. 
Let me ask you this question. How do you get those stories if David doesn't wait to become king? You don't. You don't get the work of God in the midst of the crucible of waiting. You just don't get it. And if I were to pull any, or if I were to have a question or ask you any question in this room of any person, and I say, tell me a time where you waited on God. Tell me a time where God worked in the midst of waiting. And then I gave you the opportunity to share with me all that God did in between the waiting, maybe, you know, to get pregnant and have a kid, or maybe in the waiting of a spouse, or maybe in the waiting of a mended relationship, or maybe in the waiting of, of some, a family member to get saved, or maybe in the waiting of anything, right? Conflict resolution, whatever it is, that job you wanted. Like in the middle of point A to point B, I tell you, tell me what God did. The in-between time where David has to wait over a decade to become king becomes now the opportunity for the Lord to work and for God to get the glory of all the things that he did in and through David. And the same is true for you. When you wait on God, you now give the Lord space to work, and you now maybe have a little bit better eyes to see where God's at work. Let me show you in chapter 5, right? Chapter 5, verse 10, it says this. This is after David's finally become king. He's king over all 12 tribes. And it says this, And David became greater and greater, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. What is the reason that David became greater and greater and the house of Saul became weaker and weaker? It is not because of David. The writer lets us know it is because the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. It is always a testimony to the Lord. Your waiting is not futile. Be assured, friend, even in the midst of your waiting now, God is purposefully at work. And it will always move to a testimony about what this good and gracious and sovereign God has done in the midst of your waiting. The third thing is waiting deepens our faith in the promise of God. I think one of the reasons waiting is hard is because we realize we're not in control, yet we also kind of know that waiting's good for us. You know, like, there's these verses in the New Testament that we like to say, but sometimes we don't like to live in their reality. You know, like a Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good. You're like, all things are just like the good times. I kind of like the children's Bible version of this story. You know what I mean? Like, I want that, uh, not necessarily the all things of the waiting, that, you know, God would be doing good in the midst of this long, prolonged waiting to see something realized. Or like, I think in terms of, James chapter 1, where he says, Count it all joy, brothers, when you experience trials of various kinds. Waiting is necessary for you because it provides the opportunity not for you to run away from God, but to run to him and allow the Lord to deepen your faith in his good promises. And the final thing is waiting gives us space to obey in faith. There's this passage in chapter 3, um, and I'd love to kind of look at it. It starts in verse 31, and, and just there's this turning point. So after what we read, uh, Abner wants to bring the rest of the kingdom to David. Well, the problem is, is Abner killed 
uh, this guy's brother and Joab. And now Joab's pissed. Uh, and so he's going to kill Abner and he murders him. Uh, and that's not good. And so David's like, what? You know, like you can imagine, wait, that was going to be the guy who brings this all about. That was going to be the guy who got me the rest of the kingdom. This was the one. But David doesn't react like that. And the reason David doesn't react like that is because of the sheer fact that if you think about it, David is on God's timetable. David is waiting on the Lord for the Lord to achieve his path to the throne. And David is trusting in the promise that God has made to him. And so therefore, he is now able to obey God in faith and not have to worry about what everybody else thinks. And he can actually rightly mourn the murder of this guy who should not have been murdered. And it starts in verse 31, and I find it fascinating. It says, Then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, so like all these dudes who plotted this guy's murder, he tells them, Tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and mourn before Abner. So he makes them walk in front of the funeral procession and mourn the guy they just killed. And then it says this, And King David, there's a change that the writer of 2 Samuel wants you to notice. He is not just David. This is the first time that he is called King David. Right? And King David followed behind uh, the bier, which is like this thing they placed the dead body on, and then they had the funeral procession. And then if you keep reading, it just says, and the king wept, and the king lifted his voice, and the king lamented for Abner. And, and so now all of a sudden, what just happened in the midst of this broken world, in the midst of all this chaos, now all of a sudden David is recognized as king. In the midst of all that brokenness, he's able to, in his lamenting, in his weeping over Abner, he's able to obey God and weep with those who are weeping. It's a beautiful thing. The crazy thing about waiting is it is hard. But the other crazy thing is, is that we all need it. It's like the thing that is most necessary for our souls because then it allows for the Lord to work and for us to honor God in the midst of that. But the final thing is this, is David, I don't think, I think David knows he's not going to be the last king. There's a psalm in Psalm 24 where David says, who is this king of glory? And then he says, it's the Lord who's strong in battle, the Lord of hosts. And he says it a couple times. It's like this chorus in, the Psalm, in Psalm 24. He says, who is this king of glory? I'll read 2 Samuel 5 again for you. It's where they make David king over all of Israel. Everyone says, hey, you're the guy that God's chosen. You're the guy that we want. We're going to make a covenant with you. We're going to have you be our king. You're the guy. And then verse 4 says, David was 30 years old when he began to reign. And then what does it say? And he reigned for 40 years. Period. Do you know what happens at the end of those 40 years? He dies. When I was in high school, I wrestled a lot. <clears throat> Junior high too, I guess. Doesn't matter. Uh, but in high school, if you don't know, like, wrestling is a, a wonderful sport that I love still. Uh, the problem with wrestling is that it's during the worst season of year. Uh, if you know anything about the winter sports season, kind of kicks off in November. Uh, and in wrestling, you're trying to keep your weight at a certain, you know, goal here. And senior year, I was like 140 pounds. You know, don't be uh, over 140. And so the worst part about wrestling is, while it's a great sport, 
It also happens during Thanksgiving and uh, what else? Let's see, Christmas, uh, New Year's, you know, what else? Maybe a birthday or two, uh, and then what the heck? If you're pretty good at wrestling, you probably even make it into Valentine's Day. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like there's all these wonderful days where you would get to eat food. And so I would always be waiting for wrestling season to be over. And I, at the end of wrestling season, my, my grandparents had moved to Las Vegas, and we would go visit my grandparents. <clears throat> and I love my grandparents, and I enjoy seeing them, even still to this day. The thing, though, I realized about my longing— as I was waiting for the season to be over, I was not longing to see my grandparents. I was longing to eat at the first buffet that we would be able to eat at because I basically hadn't been able to eat anything delicious for like, you know, I don't know, like five months it seemed like. And you're just like, man, I just want a big plate. Waiting is a gift from the Lord. And I think it's a gift from the Lord because it's a gift of grace that reveals your longing. Like, if you interrogate your heart during seasons of waiting, you might find out what you're really wanting. What's creating the frustration? What's creating some of those things? Waiting is this beautiful gift that God can reveal our longings. What are you longing for? I think David, as he says in Psalm 24, who is this king of glory, he knows his reign's going to come to an end. He knows that there's going to be another king. And people are going to wonder, what's that king going to bring? How's his kingdom going to go? Will he finally bring shalom? Will he finally bring all this unity and peace? Will he put an end to the warring between all our tribes? Will this guy finally bring it? Who is the king of glory? And friends, whether you're in a season of waiting or not, If you're a part of the church, you are in a period of waiting. Because we believe that a king has come, that he has paid the price for sin, that he has risen from the grave, and he has ascended, and he is now rightfully reigning at the right hand of God, and his name is Jesus. But we also believe that that king will return, that he is coming again. We believe that this is not all there is. And it doesn't mean that this doesn't matter. I'm just saying that we are expecting a king to return and make all things right. Philippians 3.20 says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As the church, we're in this wonderful season of waiting where God is forming you, where God is shaping you as we're waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's making us into his image through the different trials and seasons of waiting. God is at work in your waiting. I know it's hard. But this evening, I just want you to know that he's with you in it. And he'll see you through it. And there will be a testimony that you'll be able to give about what the Lord has done as you gave him space to work. This week I I found a prayer on the Gospel Coalition uh, by a man named Scotty Smith. He's a pastor from Tennessee. And this is just the first part of the prayer, but I think it fits well and I'd love to end here. The prayer goes like this. Heavenly Father, we look forward to the day when our weary cry of how long, O Lord, becomes exuberant shouts of hallelujah. The wait is over. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are a good king. I thank you that you will return, that your return is coming soon. 
I pray, Lord, that you would fix our eyes on your return so that we might live now with hope, with longing, and that it might refine us and make us more like you. Lord, thank you that you are a good king who invites us to his throne to find grace and mercy and help in our time of need. So I pray for those who are in the midst of waiting. I pray for those who are waiting on you, God. Give them strength and give them courage to boldly approach your throne and to seek your help. God, you're good. Fulfill your purpose for us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.